Hello, hello, hello. God bless you. So good to be back with you again for another Bible study live. Uh, so grateful for you. Thank you for those who are liking, commenting, and sharing, as well as those who are on uh, both Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. We're on all three of those platforms simultaneously. So please let someone know about that. Let us bow our heads and pray, and then we will get into the Word of God for today. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, we love you, praise you, honor you, magnify you for all that you are and all that you mean. We thank you for being the kind, wonderful, awesome God that you are. God, we pray that you would give us clarity of thought. God, help me as a teacher to God, let revelation knowledge flow freely, unhindered and uninterrupted and unchecked by any satanic or demonic forces, God. I thank you that the hearts of the people will be illuminated and the ears will be touched. And God, that our study together would benefit us in great and magnificent ways. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. I want to say God bless you to everyone who is already online. We uh, appreciate you. Couldn't do what we do without you. So we're going to go back over Sunday's sermon. And this is what Sunday's sermon was. It was called Lifted, Lifted, and I will briefly uh, speak on that, and the idea of Lifted was just the idea of what we've been uh, going through, the challenges that we've been facing, specifically as it relates to a lot of uh, consistent death of loved ones for our members, uh, with our bishop being one of the, the main ones, and several others that of our members having very close family members uh, passing. And so there, there is a time and place where you just sometimes just need to be lifted. You need the burdens lifted off of you. But sometimes it's uh, the burden is so heavy that you yourself need to be lifted. So the idea and the mindset was lifted. What does it mean to be lifted? What, what does it mean to feel like you need to be lifted? And what does it mean to go through the process of being lifted? So that was the premise and uh, the context and the idea of Sunday's sermon. So, you know, we always like to give definitions. So here's one definition, and uh, it was one of the first definitions for lifted, but raised to a higher position or level. That was uh, very impactful to me because uh, it reminded me that the lifting has a deeper purpose. The purpose is that you're actually going to a higher position and a higher level, higher position, higher level in God. And the old adage says, new level, new devil. So the idea that the devil has ramped up against us sometimes is a signal that we are being elevated and shifting from one level to the next. And so sometimes it is the trial that you're under that announces your promotion, your elevation. And so I, I had the sense that we are actually being lifted and it's uh, good for us to feel this way, but it's also good for us to know that we're not just being lifted from a place of weariness, but we're actually being lifted into another level, another position where we are actually being elevated and promoted. And with the elevation of demonic attack uh, and with the heightened of demonic attack, there's also an elevation of blessings, spiritual revelation. So the end result of the lifting is always better 
than the place where you, you were found. And the Lord told me to tell us uh, about two weeks ago, just before Thanksgiving, that relief was on the way. So there is a light at the end of the tunnel and there is a silver lining. It's just the process that we are currently in. And I'm not preaching uh, future. I'm preaching what we as a, a church body are currently going through. But I see how God is using that to elevate us to another level. And so the, I always like to bring up synonyms. So let's bring up some of those. Uh, here, here's some synonyms for uh, lifted or lift. Boost, raise, elevate, give a lift to, cheer up, perk up, enliven, uplift, brighten up, lighten, gladden, encourage, revive, and restore. I'm going to uh, do those again. Boost. We, we all sometimes just need to be boosted. Sometimes we need an energy boost. We need a money boost. We need uh, a boost of uh, praise. Sometimes our, our praise seems like it's hard for us to engage in praise. We just need boosted or raised or elevated, given a lift to, cheered up. So just th there comes a time where we need to be cheered, cheered up. The Bible says God loveth a cheerful giver. But it's hard for a giver to be cheerful if he has nothing to be uh, cheery about or if he has no cheer. So being cheered up, the idea that as Christians we have to always be sad and serious is just phony. There is an enlightenment, there's a livening that should happen. And when we are in seasons where we don't have cheer, we need to be lifted so that we can be cheered up or perked up, enlivened, uplifted, brightened up, lightened uh, gladden, encourage, revive, and restore. Much of the Bible is about the idea of restoration. From the moment that Satan fell like lightning and Adam and Eve messed up, the rest of the Bible is the plan of God's restoration. So whenever we are in a place that is low, God has a plan and a mindset to restore, to encourage, to reignite, and so this is the place that we are in, and this is what we need to be believing for. We're believing that relief is on the way, but what is it going to look like? It's going to look like a lifting, a boost, a raise, an elevation, uh, being cheered up, enlightened, glad, and encouraged, revived, and restored. Before we move on, one of the great words that the church loves to use is the word revival. That revival needs to break out, break out in the church, revival, break out in the church, revival, break out in the land where revival comes on the heels of death. Things have to die for them to need to be revived. And so sometimes when people are praying for revival, they're oftentimes not knowingly praying also for things to get worse so that it can come to an end of itself and then there can be a revival. Ezekiel 37, it talks about the valley of dry bones. It was a vision that Ezekiel saw, and it was a vision of the state of Israel, and the bones were dry. So it showed things at its very worst, and then it showed the process of God reviving those things, and it was revived through the word of God being spoken. And so we have to understand that revival doesn't come on the heels of cheery, happy times. They usually come on the heels of negative things, but then there is an usher of revival. And that's what we're looking for and what we're believing for. So having said that, let's put this up. Reasons why 
I will be lifted. Now, I made it personal. You know, I could say reasons why you will be lifted, but I want you to see that and I wanted you to make it personal. And I wanted when I brought it up, I wanted it to be personal to me. So I, I'm going to say that again. Reasons why I will be lifted. So these are the reasons why I'm not going to stay where I am. And these are the reasons why my church is not going to stay where it is. It's the reason why you won't stay where you are in a negative place. Now, the places that are positive in your life, of course, you can stay there and advance and grow. But the reasons why the negative places in your life cannot exist, and these are the reasons why we're going to go through them, but I want you to be able to make it personal. I will be lifted. I will be lifted. Not just I can be lifted, but I will be lifted. All right, let's go to the first verse. This is Psalms 3 and 1. Lord, how are they increased that trouble me? Many are they that rise up against me. I made the point on Sunday that we're talking about demonic pressure. We're not talking about people. So we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness, spiritual wickedness in high places. At the end of the day, that is really what we are facing. And that is the reason why The pressure is so great. It is really demonic pressure. So when we look at David and his words and some of the psalmists, the writers, they are speaking of literal foes and people that were after them. Sometimes they speak about uh, the devil, but David would have people after him. We may not have literally literal people after us. Some of us do, uh, but in most cases we don't. Like if you have debt, collectors, they might literally be after you to collect the debt, but they're not trying to take your life. However, demonic pressure, the idea and the design of demonic pressure is to take your life, to weaken your salvation, to render you useless, to render you helpless. So with that understanding, let's read that scripture again. Lord, how are they, the demonic influences, increased That troubled me. In other words, I want my money to increase. I want blessings to increase, but it looks like the demons have increased. Many are they that rise up against me. Many there be which say of my soul, there is no help for him in God, Selah. So one of the the goals of demonic pressure is to get you to believe you don't have any help. There is no way out. That's one of the things that the demon, the demonic pressure of suicide will do, that this is the only way out. Ending my life, getting rid of me is the only way, is the only solution. I don't want you to think that there's any help for you in God. Not, not that God can't help, but he can't help you. Or not that God won't help, but he won't help you. Many there be. These are the voices that I'm hearing which say of my soul, there is no help for him in God. My soul is the seat of my will, my mind, my emotions, my intellect, my reasoning. It is outside of the spirit. It is the center of who I am. And so that's where the real demonic battle is waged. It's waged in our mindset. And the mindset is to get us to believe there is no help. There's no way out. The reason why I need to turn back to drugs, because 
Uh, there, there is no help. There's no help for my marriage. There's no help for my relationship, no help for my ministry, my business, whatever the case may be. The idea is to get you to think there is no help at all. But thou, O Lord, if you know me, your pastor, you know, I, I love to illuminate the word but and what that means and the power of it, how it cancels out with what is previous. But thou, O Lord, are a shield for me, my glory and the lifter up of my head. And so here's the first reason why you will be lifted and I will be lifted is because God is my shield, my glory and my lifter. So God takes care of many of those things for me. He, he finds me in the state that I am, but he doesn't leave me there. And it is his goal to be my shield, my glory, and my lifter. Now, now the question that we have to ask ourselves is if he is my shield, why is it that I, my head needs to be lifted up? Because if, if we look back at the scripture, I think I want to go back to, to the scripture but thou, O Lord, are a shield for me. So the first thing it, it mentions is, is that you are a shield for me. Then it says my glory. And then it says, and the lifter up of my head. So if you are a shield for me, why is my head down? And the point that I made in, uh, on Sunday that I'll, I will reiterate, that shields, they take the brunt of the attack. But that doesn't mean you don't feel any aftermath. Um, some, some people who've been in war, they came out alive. They were shielded, but they would say, I got a scar from shrapnel. Shrapnel is the, the residue of things that happen. So the, the grenade went off and it hit uh, part of the tank or it hit part of this, but I got hit with some shrapnel, some of the excess. So, so everything that we go through doesn't leave us without scars or without pain. But if we pay attention that because God is our shield, he takes the brunt of the attack. On Sunday, I used the idea of the bulletproof vest that um, a lot of cops wear, and it stops and it keeps the bullet from penetrating all the way through. But most people who have worn those know that the, the impact of being shot will still knock you over. You still could have a bruise or a scar, but your life is preserved. The only thing God promises you is preservation of your life. And it does, it's not even a guarantee of just this life. It's a guarantee of eternal life, a life to come. So things may happen to you, but you will be okay. So God is your glory. He is your shield, but that doesn't mean that you still won't run in times where you need your head lifted because you can become under so much heavy attack. And even though you are shielded, it will take its toll on you. Let me give you just a, uh, an example that, that might help. Those of us who, who live in a residential neighborhoods know around the 4th of July and the end of June, uh, 4th of July, on in some, some weeks that there are fireworks that go off. Fireworks that are harmless to us and harmless to our neighborhood. 
But by the third week of July, you get tired of hearing, hearing boom and crackle and pop. It, it interrupts your sleep. It makes you tired. And if you know anything about fireworks and fireworks sales, after the 4th of July is over, everything goes on sale. So the cheap people like me like to buy stuff afterwards, and then they, they light stuff later. But it can get to the place where you're tired of hearing it, tired of seeing it. It could be mentally draining, even though it is not causing you any physical harm. It's not like your house is being caught on fire. It's not like fireworks are hitting your porch. It's just the constant noise, the constant thing that has a way of just wearing you down. If something that simple can wear you down, demonic pressure can wear you down, whether it is totally penetrating you or not, just having to deal with things has a way of just wearing you down. The Bible says that it is Satan's desire, I'm paraphrasing, to wear out the patience of the saints. He may not be able to cost us our salvation. He may not be able to cost us our life, but sometimes that booger can wear us out with just the barrage of things that come our way. So even though God is our glory, and even though he is our shield, he is our lifter because there are times our head needs to be lifted up even in the midst of uh, being protected by God, he still needs to lift us up. Uh, uh, another good example of that of, of fireworks is me as a father having young children or those who have pets where when the things go off, you have to shield the ears of a young child because it scares a young child. And they don't, they're not to the age where they find it cute and, and beautiful, ooh and ah. They're scared. I remember the first time Alana heard fireworks and how she jumped and scared. And I grabbed her in my arms and said, baby, baby, it's okay. It's okay. Look up. It's beautiful. I'm, I'll hold your ears. And that's what God does to us because sometimes the attack is so heavy. Uh, even though we are okay, we don't feel okay. And we need God to be the lifter of our head. And he's promised us that he will do that. All right, let's go back to the scripture. Psalms 3 and 4. I cried unto the Lord with my voice, and he heard me out of his holy hill. I do want to make a, a point about that, is that God sometimes seems so far off because he seems like he's the God in heaven, but we're here left on earth to fend for ourselves. But the scripture says he heard me from his holy heel, especially when I cried out to him. And if you never get in a situation where you need to cry out to God, you will never find that connection that my cry triggers a response from God because he is my father. That the, the ear of a father and the ear of a mother is trained to hear a cry from their child. And it's not every day that you hear that cry from the child, but when you hear it, it triggers an immediate response. And so there comes a time in our lives where we're under such pressure that it makes us cry out to the Lord, but he hears us from his holy heel. I laid me down and slept. I awake for the Lord sustained me. You can be in such pressure that it affects your sleep. But we need you to understand that you will be lifted so you can go ahead and rest because God will and God can sustain you. And that brings us up to this point, 
God sustains me. Here's the second reason why I will be lifted is because God sustains me. He never leaves me lonely. Let's go to verse six. I will not be afraid of 10,000s of people that have set themselves against me round about. Now remember, David is actually looking at uh, battles and thousands of enemies. But the scripture tells us and talks about one could chase a thousand, two, ten thousand. So it lets us know that there are thousands of demons that we have to encounter. There's literally thousands. And if there are ten thousand, we still do not have to be afraid. I will not be afraid of ten thousand demons that have set themselves against me round about. Why? Because I'm able to say, Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God. For thou hast smitten all mine enemies upon the cheekbone. Thou hast broken the teeth of the ungodly. Verse 8, salvation belongeth unto the Lord. Thy blessing is upon thy people, Selah. So here's verse uh, point number three on the reason why I will be lifted. God's blessing is on me. So even... In the time of intense pressure, God's blessing is yet on me. God's blessing is yet on my life. Favor is still on my life, even though it doesn't seem like it is being triggered in this moment. It seems like the only thing that is being triggered is the attack or the pressure against me. But oftentimes it is the favor that is on your life that is actually triggering the attack. Because one thing demons know, they know and they recognize favor. They recognize anointing. If you know anything about the scripture, some of the great people, and I'll, I'll point out two, I'll point out both Moses, actually I'll point out three, Moses, Joseph, and Jesus. Before they ever grew into full stature, there was demonic pressure to kill them before they ever arrived. Moses and Jesus, and the reason why those two came up to my mind first is because both there were decrees to kill the males that were uh, two and under or three and under in, in those cases to kill them. So, so Satan was knew, Satan didn't know what or where, but knew something was coming. There's a rumble in the heavenlies when something that is birthed with favor is coming. So they try to kill it out before it comes. So Moses was hid in the basket and stuck in the Nile and he escaped and he ended up becoming the deliverer. Jesus was pulled to Egypt and escaped. His family fled to Egypt. It's very interesting that both Moses and Jesus ended up in Egypt to escape the attack of the enemy. But then I thought of Joseph, who his own brothers hated him because of the dreaming anointing that he had and because his father favored him. His, he was one of the children from the love relationship with Rachel, and so he actually favored him more than the others, and it caused trouble. And they tried to kill him, but Reuben said, ah, oh, let's not kill him. Let's just sell him. At the last minute, it was changed. The idea of the enemy was thwarted. But 
many times the favor on your life is what is triggering the attack. But as long as you're still living and still breathing, you can declare this. God's blessing is on me. And that's the reason why I will be lifted. This shifts me to one of my favorite passages of scripture, Psalms 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Bring me to point four on the reason why I will be lifted. Because, and this was a typo, it's not supposed to be God's in these next slides, but God is my light and the strength of my life. God is my light and my strength. Now, light is connected to life. I, I, I would like to share this. We are very similar to plants in the sense that plants receive energy from light. It is called photosynthesis. They actually grow from light. We as Christians and believers, we grow from the light of God. We were caught out of darkness and into his marvelous light. So we are creatures of the light. We are people of the day, so to speak. We're not those of the dark of the night. And so we grow in light. So it is Satan's job and goal to darken our life with his attack, to cause shadows to come over us. Yea, though I walk through the valley that is shadowed with death, I will fear no evil. But here's a point that God made so clear to me that I, I, I found so beautiful, that you never see a shadow in ultimate darkness. The only way you can see a shadow is there has to be light somewhere. So if you're in a valley that's shadowed with death, like Deliverance Temple is, there has to be light somewhere because the only way a shadow can be present is there has to be light. Now the shadow may be blocking the light. The, the, the mountain, the valley is the place between two mountains or, or it's the low place in between mountains. So the mountains may be blocking the light to where you only get the shadow, but the light is there somewhere. And for us who understand that God is, let's say it again, God is my light and the strength of my life. The scripture says in the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. This is John chapter one. And the, the scripture says in him was light and the light became the life of men. And I may be quoting wrong. It could say in him was uh, uh, life and the life became the light or in him was light and the light became the life. Uh, I can't remember quite, quite correctly, but the correlation between light and life is so strong in the scripture when it talks about our savior. And so God is the strength of my life and he is my light. Let's move further. When the wicked or the demonic forces, even my enemies and my foes came upon me to eat up my flesh. They stumbled and fell. They were not successful. Though an host should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. This is something that I didn't talk about Sunday morning, but I want to talk about here. Fear in your head is not... Um, it's not ideal, but it's okay. 
The problem is when fear is in your heart. Because there's a passageway from your head to your heart. If you ponder fear in your head long enough, it will, resi- it, it will reside in your heart. And so David said, though a host encamp against me, a host is not just a little, a lot, though a whole bunch of junk is facing me, I'm facing it, with it. it's facing me and I'm facing it, my heart will not fear. Yeah, yeah I may be afraid in my head, But my heart, the core of who I am, will not take fear. No fear here. I will not reside from a place of fear. I will not make decisions from a place of fear. I will not allow fear to set up place in my heart because whenever I'm afraid, I will do things that are unruly. I will operate out of unwisdom. I will be foolish. I will get into folly. If I am functioning from fear, so fear cannot have a place in my heart. Though an host should cap against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war should rise against me, in this will I be confident. And so Sunday morning, I begin to speak on confidence. Today, I focus on the fear, so I won't focus too much on the confidence. But when you don't allow fear to reside in your heart, it gives you a confidence, not confidence in you but confidence in God. And then in the confidence, I'll write the made-up word that I like to use whenever I think of confidence, and it is the word Godfidence. My confidence is so much in God that I have Godfidence. I am confident in God. Now, am I confident in me? No. And that is, in large place, that is positive for me not to have confidence in me. The scripture says that we shouldn't put any confidence in our flesh. I don't have any confidence in me. I know I'm a pastor and I'm a leader and some people are calling me bishop now that my father is gone. And I don't really want no parts of that unless God says so because I'm just not confident in me, but I am confident in the God in me. That makes all the difference. See, me and God is everything. Me, by myself, I ain't worth a dime. I ain't worth a dime to you. I'm not worth a dime to my family. I'm not worth a dime to me. So my confidence is never in me. My confidence is in God. So, though, let's let's go back to the scripture. Though an host should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war should rise against me, in this will I be confident. One thing. Have I desired of the Lord? So he talks about, I'm going to be confident. But then he talks about, my confidence is coming from this one thing. One thing have I desired of the Lord, and that will I seek after. This is why I'm confident, because I know what I'm seeking, and I know who I'm seeking, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple, bringing me to point five. This is the halfway point for us. God is my only true desire. Here is where my confidence comes from. I'm seeking God. I'm locked into God, and he is my only real and true desire. I have put all my eggs in the God basket. I put all my hope in the God basket. And that has, instead of making me weak, that has actually given me confidence because my hope is built on nothing less 
than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I, I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. I've come to this place where I understand and I comprehend and I recognize that if God is all I got, God is all I need. And if I got to die on that hill, I'm willing to die on that hill. I'm confident that God will see me through. Am I confident every second of every moment of every day? No. But by the time I come out the house, I'm one of those people that you will never see me sweat, so to speak. By the time I come out the house, you will never know the type of pressure, demonic pressure that I have been under because I'm putting my hope and my trust in God. Great athletes will tell you that sometimes some of the greatest athletes threw up before every game. Their stomach was in knots, but by the time they took the field or took the court, the confidence in the work they had put in behind the scenes would kick in. When things got low, they would demand the ball. The greatest of athletes would say, give me the ball or put me on the pitcher's mound. Give me a chance to swing the bat. Let me shoot the last shot. Let me throw the last pass. Even though they may be nervous in uh, the situation, they were confident in them, in the work that they had put in. And most of them would say they weren't confident in their ability. They were confident in their preparation. Well, my preparation has been with God. And so my confidence is with God and the fact that he's my only real and true desire. And so since my hope is there, I feel like I'm going to be okay. I got a feeling everything is going to be all right. Let's look at this Next verse, verse five, for in the time of trouble, he shall hide me in his pavilion in the secret of his tabernacle. Shall he hide me? He shall set me upon a rock. I'm going to read that again because there, there's some power in that for in the time of trouble, he shall hide me in his pavilion. He just won't hide me anywhere, but he'll hide me in his pavilion. So I go from a place of trouble to a place of being with him in his pavilion. In the secret of his tabernacle shall he hide me. He shall set me upon a rock. It seems to suggest that when trouble actually announces itself, that it actually does me a favor because God goes through great lengths to make sure that I'm okay. I want to put it up in this in point six. One of the reasons why I will be lifted is because God specializes in trouble. He's actually a very present help in trouble. There are some things you will never know about God until you get into trouble, until trouble comes. We never knew about the fourth man looking like the son of God until the three Hebrew boys got in the fire. That we had up until that point had never read a story about 
God manifesting himself in that capacity. And we never would have seen that if the trouble was not imminent and the trouble was not there. And the, the fire turned up seven times hotter and Nebuchadnezzar being so hell bent on saying, listen, if you don't worship, you're going to be thrown in. That trouble showed us another side of God. The scripture says that he that dwelleth in the secret place of the most high shall abide under the shadow of the almighty. But what it doesn't tell us is sometimes that is triggered only through trouble. If you continue to read Psalms 91, it talks about all the trouble that you're protected from. Now, what I like about, and I think I'm going to go back to the scripture. What I like about this, it says, for in the time of trouble, he shall hide me in his pavilion. Then it goes from that and says, in the secret of his tabernacle. Not only are we in his pavilion, then we're in the secret of his tabernacle. And then he shall set me upon the rock. One of the things that uh, I thought about in that is, if, you, if you've been in school or you've been on a job and they have a tornado drill, they'll give you a false uh, siren and then they'll take you to a place where you will be safe. Uh, in, in my job, there is basement. They used to try to get us into a low place. And we know whenever we hear the tornado siren, this is where we go. In school, they would make you get up under the desk. In other words, there's another level of safety you can go to once the trouble triggers the siren. So certain troubles triggers a siren for God and God moves into action to put you into a more secure location than you are in because God specializes in trouble. And that should give you confidence that there is a plan if the trouble heightens, if the trouble intensifies, there already is a plan in place and God has a plan in place. Verse six, and now shall mine head be lifted up. Now we're going back to that same thing, my head being lifted and now shall my head be lifted up above my enemies round about me. Therefore, will I offer in his tabernacle sacrifices of joy, I will sing yea, I will sing praises unto the Lord. Now, I want to point out three words on Sunday. I point out two words, but today I'll add a third word. The three words I want to point out is now, which is the second word, shall, which is the third word. And if you drop down after the colon, there is the word therefore. Now shall therefore. Now shall therefore. Now shall therefore. Now is present tense. Now speaks of now. Shall speaks of future. Therefore speaks of a decision that I will make presently that will affect the future. Now shall therefore. So with that understanding, let's read the scripture again. And now present tense shall mine head be lifted up. All right. So. I'm understanding something now, but the lifting is not going to happen immediately. It's not going to happen in the present immediately. The lifting is going to come in the future. So that means there's something that I'm going to have to do between now and the future. And that's where the therefore comes in. And now shall mine head be lifted up above my enemies round about. Therefore, here's the key. Will I offer now 
in his tabernacle sacrifices of joy. I will sing, yea, I will sing praises unto the Lord. Even if I'm in a situation that is not joyful because I know what shall be, I have made a decision. Therefore, I'm going to praise him now. I'm going to muster up joy and praise. And so that leads me to our point. I'm praising in advance for the lifting. This is the reason why I will be lifted because I'm praising in advance for the lifting. I have confidence in God that I'm going to be lifted and my confidence is uh, determining how I'm moving. And so I'm going to give praise to God from the confidence. Now, now in my now, I may be hurting. I may be under a lot of pressure, but I'm not going to allow that to hurt and pressurize my praise. I'm going to praise God based on the fact that I know what he can do, what he will do, what he shall do. So therefore, I'm going to sing praises now, and that's going to trigger my lifting. Because why? Because he inhabits the praises of his people. Now, he specializes in trouble, but if we want him to show up even faster, he inhabits the praises of his people. Uh, Come before his presence with singing. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving in his courts with praise. So I can actually, even in trouble, get even closer to God by the way I praise when I am in trouble. All right, so now we're going to shift from Psalm all the way into the time of Jesus. So let's take John 5, 2. Now there's at Jerusalem by the sheep market a pool, which is called in the Hebrew tongue Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of impotent folk, of blind, halt, withered, waiting for the moving of the water. And a certain man was there, which had an infirmity 38 years. Always like to bring up how long he was in the situation. He had an infirmity 38 years. And I I, I spent a lot of time Sunday talking about that. But but today, or tonight rather, I want to focus on a, a different thing. I want to focus on and a certain man and a certain man. Remember that I purposely phrased uh, the reasons. I purposely phrased it personal reasons why I will be lifted because I want you to make it personal. The point I'm bringing up now is a certain man. There were, I, th- I think I'll go, go backwards. It says in these lay a great multitude Great multitude, a whole bunch of folk were impotent, blind, hot, withered, waiting on the water. Everybody was needing a breakthrough. Everybody needed to be lifted. But the story focuses on a certain man. I need you to understand that favor is not necessarily fair. Even though other people are going through I want you to make it personal. I will be lifted. Right now, I'm not worried about the other person being lifted, not necessarily worried about my pew mate being lifted, which I want them to, not necessarily worried about everybody else online with me or the people who are in the building with me tonight. For a brief moment, 
I need to focus on me and say that God is speaking specifically to my situation. He's speaking to all of us, but sometimes you have to personalize it. See, salvation is personal. There's sometimes you have to personalize things because sometimes God wants to lift you so that you can lift others. So he's not planning on lifting everybody at the same time. But there has to be somebody willing to make it personal. So and a certain man, you could be that certain person. And so you have to grab hold by faith that this is my moment. This is my season. This is the reason why I will be lifted. Sure, God is going to lift all of DT. Sure, God is going to do things with us. And sure, we're not the only church that God is going to lift. But for a brief moment, I need you to focus on you. What are the things that you specifically need? Because this is your turn. This is your time. The, the hour of favor is for you. You need a breakthrough. You need a turnaround. You need your head pulled up out of the sand. You need to be out of the muck and mire. So it's okay to have an I moment. I will be lifted because I am that certain man. I am that certain woman. Let's continue to read. When Jesus saw him lying there, and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? Here's the reason why it's important to focus on you for a moment or on I for a moment is because when Jesus comes up, he is dealing with you personally. And his question to you is, do you want to be healed? And Let's look at the answer that uh, Jesus gives. First of all, let's, let's, let's bring this point up. I want to be lifted. So we are making it, it uh, personal. I, I, I actually want to add this comment from Shanita. I like that. I will be lifted. Just making it personal and having the praising hands behind it saying, yes, I, I'm going to be lifted. So that that correlates with point eight. I want to be lifted. So let's let's go back to the uh, reason why we need to be somewhat selfish in this moment. Let's look at what seemed to be hindering this man from getting what he needed. Jesus asked him a very pointed personal question. Do you want to be healed? Basically, what he was saying is, how bad do you want it? But let's look at how he responded. His response, the impotent man answered him, Sir, I have no man when the water is troubled to put me into the pool. But while I am coming, another steppeth down before me. He missed the point. And the reason why he missed the point was easier for him to miss the point than it is for us. Because Jesus was new to the scene. They didn't know much about Jesus. Jesus was announcing who he was. So he, he didn't understand that the Messiah was standing right in front of him and the Messiah was offering him something. And the Messiah was saying, how bad do you want it? Because I'm here. I'm the answer. And so he went back to the past and about all the other people around him and all the reasons why he was the way he was, why I am the way I am. And I believe therapy is very important. I believe it's something that we should look into. But therapy teaches us to go back into childhood and look 
at what mama did and look what dad did. And those things are important and they're well in their place. But when you have an encounter with Jesus, it's not about mama, daddy, cousin, who did this to you. It's about how bad do you want it right now? Because I'm here to do the lifting. And if you have been believing for the lifting, when the lifting opportunity comes, it's not time to be talking about, well, my pew mate. No, it's not about your pew mate. It ain't about mom and daddy. It ain't about the Republicans, Democrats. It's not about the bishop. It's not about, about your pastor. It's not about the denomination. It's about how bad do you want it? What do you want right now in the moment? Because Jesus is here for you. What do you want? The man, man didn't understand. He didn't, he didn't know who Jesus was. We know who Jesus is. Everybody ought to know. Everybody ought to know who Jesus is. Who Jesus is. Somebody know that song. He's the lily of the valley. He's the bride and morning star. Everybody ought to know. But, but here's the thing. Everybody ought to know, but everybody don't know. So the question is, what do you know? about your Jesus. Well, if you have confidence that he's going to bring you out when he shows himself to do it, you got to take hold of that. Um, uh, let me see if I can explain it this way. There are times even in a, in a church setting, in a church service where people will miss moments that are very valuable. There may be an appeal. Now we haven't seen it in deliver simple in a while because of COVID, but an appeal to come to the altar. And I've seen people be in that appeal and they're looking around because they're looking for other people to get them to come to the altar. Or like maybe their child is here. And they're like, almost like, look, you need, to go, you need to go. I remember back in the day that people would look at their children. My mama would look at me like, you get to the altar. I'm like, man, can't the Holy Spirit convict me? <laughs> no, they was going to convict you. But there are times when people are looking at other folk and they're the ones who need to grab the moment. Or, ooh, that was such a good sermon. I can't wait to tell so-and-so. No, 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 no. Forget about so-and-so for a second. What, what was the sermon for you? That, that, this is a moment for you. And, and this man was missing the moment because he was thinking about the past. He was thinking about the reason why he, he couldn't get healed and how other people got in front of him and nobody helped bring him. But he had a moment he could grab onto. And he didn't know it. But I'm so grateful for Jesus because look what Jesus does next. Jesus saith unto him, rise, take up thy bed and walk. Remember a few weeks ago we talked about I didn't expect it, but God did it anyway. See, he had the total wrong mindset, but Jesus overrode it and did it anyway. He said, rise, take up your bed and walk. In other words, I'm the one who can do the lifting. And I, I'm going to speak a word. And one word from me can immediately change your life. And, and that gets me to this verse here. And immediately the man was made whole and took up his bed and walked. And on the same day was the Sabbath. The reason why that was brought up, because that was the day of rest. And so things weren't supposed to be done on the day of rest, but because Jesus was here. He was letting them know, I am the Sabbath. I am your rest. See, when you've come under heavy demonic pressure, you need rest. But Jesus is trying to let us know, I am your rest. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. This is Matthew eleven twenty-eight. 28. 
He said, because I, 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 I'm the answer. I'm everything that you need in this moment. Now, God doesn't always come to us in a lifting moment. Sometimes he comes to us to comfort. But you have to know when you are at a moment and you got to reach for that moment because your whole life can change in a moment. The scripture even tells us when it comes to the wrapping up of the age in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, we shall be changed. Well, the scripture also tells us first natural, then spiritual. So in the ending of the age spiritually, we will be changed in the twinkling of an eye in a moment's time. But also naturally, we're going to experience some immediately in our life, some suddenly, some right now, some straight away. These are all words that are in the Bible, specifically in the King James Bible, of how God can do some stuff right then. So I need you to have confidence that you will be lifted. I will be lifted because when the moment comes, I'm going to grab it. When it came to Esther, she made the statement, if I perish, I perish but I'm going to see the king. I, I, I'm going to take my chances. I'm taking my chances that God is going to lift me and it's not going to take forever that God can do it in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. Here's the ninth point. And this will be our last point. I'll tell us what the 10th point was, but this will be our last one. We will give a uh, address to Jesus lifting power is greater than my past. Jesus' lifting power is greater than my past. That's what he learned in that moment, that in the past, somebody always beat him. In the past, he had no one to help him get there. But I, but I love his determination. He was there 38 years. Now, what I don't know is if he just stayed in the same place and stayed close. I don't know if he drug himself away and back, but he didn't give up in 38 years. And what God was saying to him in that moment, all the hell you've been through in all those 38 years is changing right now today because I'm greater than those previous 38 years. My lifting power is greater than that. And so you're sure deliverance temple. We are in a season of demonic pressure, but the lifting is going to erase so much. So we got to stay dedicated. I, I, I will show you what 10 was. And 10 was, I'm lifted when I remember Jesus is lifting. And it came from John 12, 32, 33. And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men unto me. And we did that. And what we did is we actually took uh, communion. And so on Sunday morning, we had that special communion to understand that I am lifted. I believe that God is uh, lifting me in great ways. So I want you to have hope and faith. I'm not saying this is easy. This has been difficult. For me as your leader, this has been extremely difficult. I'm mentally exhausted from all the death, including my own father. So it's one thing to try to grieve my, my father and then to have to help other people grieve. Every time I'm doing another funeral, helping another family, it triggers the space that I'm in. I'm trying to go through a grief journey, and I'm constantly triggered because people need me as a pastor to be for them when they lose a loved one. And so this has not been an easy season for me, 
but I am convinced, my confidence leads to my convincing, I am convinced that God is going to bring me up and out greater than the space that I'm in now. So I keep plugging along, I keep pushing. I'm not perfect, <laughs> I might snap a little bit, I may be a little, uh, may not be all the, the kindest as I'm always am because I'm human, but I'm believing that something is happening and my faith is out there because I know the God that I serve, he has immediately, he's right in his hand and I believe God is lifting. I will say that while I'm preaching to you, these last several weeks, I have been preaching to me. My own sermons have been getting me through, blessing me. The things that God is sharing with me to share to you have been truly benefiting me. So we are in this together, and I'm grateful that God is the supplier of all our needs. And I, I will close with this, and we will pray, my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Let's bow our heads and pray. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you, honor you, we love you, and we appreciate you. You are the great, wonderful, matchless, marvelous God. And we're in a place where we have to cry out to you. We have to lean on you. We're in a place where we need you. If we've ever needed the Lord before, we sure do need you now. But you are our God who will neither leave us nor forsake us. You're the same yesterday, today, and forever, and we can count on you. And so our faith, our hope, and our trust is in you. And we're so grateful for that. Now, Father God, if there's anybody under the sound of my voice, both in the live as well as who will watch later in a rebroadcast or watch on YouTube, Father, I'm praying that they would pray these simple words if they don't know you as their Savior. Father God, come into my life. Save me. Wash me of my sin. Cleanse me. Make me new. I accept your son. I accept this life. I accept the lifting that you're offering called salvation. And I will be with you eternally in heaven. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. I want to say God bless you. We love you. Thanks for watching. See you next week. 